And, uh, but I'd like to ask you to open your Bible to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. This is a passage I just uh, could not get out of my mind this week. Um, many, many years ago, I think I preached on this passage, but uh, bring a fresh look at it today. This is, this is the account of what happened after the birth of Jesus. Um, he is the light of the world. He came to dispel the darkness of Satan and his sin against God and against us and of our own sins that we who dwell in the darkness of sin um, have seen the light of God, the light of the world come in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we, we try to remember those times, uh, those accounts of his birth, of his revelation to Mary and Joseph of what, what he was uh, coming to do, the angels telling him that he was to come, that his name would be Jesus, because he shall save, which the name of Jesus means. He shall save his people from their sins. <clears throat> but what about the effect of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ? And I wanted to look at this passage, so I'm going to read the entire chapter, verses 1 through 23. And let us consider um, how God directed this young family. Hear the word of God. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has born king, been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east, and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard it, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he began to inquire of them where the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed was to be born. And they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, <clears throat> for so it has been written, by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and ascertaining from them the time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, and said, go and make careful search for the child. And when you found him, report to me that I too may come and worship him. And having heard the king, they went on their way and lo, the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And they came into the house and saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. And opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, 
they departed for their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. And he arose and took the child and his mother by night, and departed for Egypt. And he was there until the death of Herod, that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Out of Egypt I have called my son. Then when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged and sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its environs from two years old and under, according to the time which had been ascertained from the Magi. Then that which was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children. And she refused to be comforted because they were no more. But when Herod, Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise and take the child and his mother and go into the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he arose and took the child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he departed for the regions of Galilee and came and resided in a city called Nazareth that what was spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. Let's pray. Lord, help us to understand this text and see the, your almighty power, not only to bring your eternal son into this world to be born of the Virgin Mary as fully God and fully man, but also to protect his life to plan his life and to provide for him and his family until the time should come that he be crucified upon the tree. Help us to believe that these things happened and to understand the lessons that come from them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I said, I had been planning on preaching from the words of Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, when he uh, spoke this prophecy over uh, John's birth and what John would be doing in his life, what God had planned for him. And he, he said that he would bring to many, John the Baptist would bring to many the uh, knowledge of God, the forgiveness of sins uh, through his baptism and preaching 
because of the tender mercy of our God with which the sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace, peace with God and peace with man. So this is the Lord Jesus Christ, the light of the world. He is the revelation of the invisible God to man who cannot see God and live. He is the explanation of what God is like in his justice and righteousness, but also in his mercy and grace. Jesus said, he that has seen the Father has seen me. And so when we, we think of the angel telling Mary in, cha- in Luke chapter 1, that that which would be born of her by the Holy Spirit would be the Son of God, we're learning what the gospel truly is. It certainly is about the fact that we are sinners and that God will judge the world for their sins, that those who have committed only one sin in their life shall experience the wrath of a holy God and be condemned to hell. Much less those who have committed many sins. We, we also see that in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, he who was God in the flesh suffered upon the cross in order that he may atone for the sins of many people, not just one person, but many. There's a great mystery in that nature of Jesus, that one person with two natures, fully God, fully man, not mixed, not confused. And yet we see the humility and kindness of God as the Lord Jesus Christ washed the feet of his disciples before his death. We we truly have light that has come into the darkness of this sinful world, and it is the only light that shines in the darkness. This morning I want us to look at Matthew 2 and try to understand what happened after the glorious birth of Christ, the angels singing to the shepherds, the magi coming to visit him when he was about two years old, and, and try to understand um, in the life of Joseph particularly how he was affected by the birth of Christ. So first, what happened after the birth of Christ? We find Mary and Joseph and Jesus living in a house in Bethlehem for one to two years after his birth. We know this because the wise men found Jesus in a house in Bethlehem just before Herod killed all the babies in Bethlehem that were two years old or younger. This was probably around 5 BC. We know this because history shows that Herod, Herod the Great died in 4 BC. And our calendars uh, over the years, over the millennia now, have been corrected from the Gregorian calendar. With Jesus being born in 1 AD, it's likely that he was born in 6 BC, 
and the events occur then. The murders of Bethlehem's babies was in 4 to 5 BC, we believe. So all the wonder and joy of Christ's birth in the narratives faced immediately the darkness of sin, killing babies at random, two years old and under, in hopes to eliminate Jesus as being the king who challenges Herod's throne. So self-centered, so unfeeling. We, we look at what Herod did and we say, can man be like this? And the answer of the Bible is yes. That the heart is wicked above all things. It's deceitful. And who can understand it? And not only that, no one, no human being can change the heart, the nature, from being self-centered and self-interested and deceitful and lying in order to get one's way, harming others that your desires may be met. What, what can change such a heart that is bound in darkness and sin? Well, this is the wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ. He can. So all the wonder of Christ's birth and what was to come in the future faced hardship and darkness from the very beginning. But we see how God the Father sovereignly protected His divine Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The wise men were warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, to tell him where Jesus was. And then an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and, and told him, you must take Jesus and Mary into Egypt to avoid the death that uh, King Herod was bringing upon all the babies two years old and under in Bethlehem. So Joseph and Mary and their babe got up in the middle of the night and left for Egypt. A long journey, an uncertain journey, because the angel told them to. And here we see something in Joseph as the head of the family that I, I treasure. And that is he just heard the word of God from the angel and obeyed. That's the simplicity of the Christian life. No longer do we live for ourselves, but for him who died and rose again on our behalf. We hear his words and we say, yes, Lord. We not only ask him for forgiveness, but we ask him for guidance and submit to his word. And seek to live a life according to his truth instead of our confusion and ignorance that we have by nature. It's a different life. So what did Mary and Joseph and Jesus do in Egypt while, while they were there? And the answer is that we do not really know. There have been attempts in the second century after Jesus' um, birth, in the second century, to write what we would call apocryphal uh, epistles and gospels that try to explain what Jesus and Mary did and Joseph in Egypt, but they are not truthful. But we do know one thing, and that is when Alexander the Great conquered Judea in 332 B.C., there was a priest named Onias 
And Onias fled to Egypt um, with a number of Jews who were trying to escape Alexander the Great. And they <clears throat> came to the community that is called Syene and actually built another temple to offer sacrifices to God because they had been cast out uh, by Alexander the Great. And that community grew over those next two or three hundred years and actually uh, built a further community on the island of Elephantine in the middle of the Nile River. And that Elephantine community uh, was preserved from war over the years, and now we have many documents that have been discovered uh, from the island of Elephantine in Egypt that tell us about what was happening during those days, and even scriptures that have been um, uh, have been discovered on the Isle of Elephantine. Nevertheless, we believe they probably went there and found safety in a community of Jews. Uh, Joseph finding work as a carpenter, but also remember that the Magi had brought them uh, gold and myrrh and and uh, frankincense. These were uh, not only the gold, but the but the uh, spices were expensive, and they could have sold some of them to support themselves. So God took care through the Magi of Joseph and Mary and Jesus. It was all planned. It was all predestined before the world began that nothing could touch Jesus' head till the cross. So Joseph obeyed the angel's words that told him at the time to return to uh, Judah or Israel um, after being in Egypt for a couple of years and the prophecy was fulfilled out of Egypt I have called my son the Lord Jesus Christ but then Joseph heard of Archelaus the evil son of Herod the Great and fearing for the life of his family and the babe they bypassed Judah and went up into the north in Galilee and settled in Nazareth. And so Jesus was called Jesus of Nazareth. But it also fulfilled the prophecy that he would be called a Nazarene. And so we see these prophecies from the Old Testament, many coming from different directions, uh, fulfilled and determining the path of Jesus, the protection of Jesus, and certainly at the last, the atoning death of the Lord Jesus Christ at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, it says. God is that sovereign over our lives. And we find in Joseph a trust in him, a trust that God had a plan that change Joseph's plans and so we can learn some lessons from this passage as well secondly we can learn some things about man and we can learn some things about God the first thing we learn about man is that in Herod we see a man of sin he embodies all that is our sinful nature is. 
He lusted after the things of this world, money and power, pleasure, reputation. And he did not care how his desires were affected those around them. He murdered his relatives. He murdered at least two sons, his wife, so that none could challenge his throne while he was reigning. Life was nothing to him as long as he got his way. It did not matter what happened to others as long as he got what he wanted. And that's the real heart of man by nature. Adam and Eve did not care what God wanted. They cared what they wanted. And they ate of the tree that God told them not to eat. And as a result, the fall of man came in. Their, their nature was corrupted with sin. Their bodies and all creation was corrupted in decay and death because they wanted their way. Instead of learning and committing themselves to God's way, God's command over what they wanted, what they desired, what they felt. And the result is that Herods were born. People that would murder babies at random and in thoroughness all over Bethlehem to get his way, to protect himself, to let nothing interfere with what he wanted. And that's the nature of man. Now you might say, well, that's terrible. Herod killed all these babies just because he wanted his way. Surely there's no one else like him in the Bible. But in the prophecies of Isaiah and Jeremiah, we find that when Jerusalem was being destroyed by the Babylonian army, that compassionate women boiled their babies and ate them. This is the darkness that is upon the earth. A hearts that were made to love God above all things. To love their neighbor as themselves. To do unto others as they would have them do unto them. To love. To serve. To be like God in his kindness and mercy and graciousness. We were... We were made from that for that, but we have gone far astray. And even now, as we look around our country, even those who profess to be Christians engage themselves in hatred, deceit, lying, falling from the pulpits of large churches because of their own lust. And those who profess Christ, rejecting his commandments about immorality and deceit and lying. The darkness is upon us and we see in Herod an example of that. He built great buildings including the Jewish temple 
that was greater than Solomon's temple. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world with its gold and its, its silver, its jewels. But he required the Jews to pay more taxes than the Romans required. He put his own people into slavery to build his great projects without pay, only food and water. He didn't care how his desires affected others around him. He only cared for what he wanted and did not fear God nor the judgment of God who sees all things, knows all things, and remembers all things. This is what the very heart of sin is. So Herod is an epitome of the soul without God and who has nothing to live for except the things of this world, the attention of others in this world, and the experience of all the pleasures that this earth has to offer. And when he died, Josephus, the old historian of in the first century. When he died, Josephus recorded that all Jerusalem rejoiced in his death. At least the darkness of his life had passed, and that was cause for rejoicing. But that's the way we all are by nature. We could be a Herod. We could be a mother in Jerusalem. You think, well, I couldn't. I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. You've never been in their situations to begin with. But the Bible teaches that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that Satan has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they may not see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But for God's grace, sending his son to accomplish the atonement for our sins by his perfect life and death, sending his son to rise from the dead and show us that there is light. There is something more than darkness in this world. There is hope. There is eternal life. There is redemption and the cleansing of sin. There is a God who in his infinite greatness and a God who has chosen to join his spirit to everyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ so that they're never alone again. That God is with them. His name is Emmanuel. And every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ now lives in the presence of God. This affects, us, this affects our whole life. It, it's, it's a different perspective. It's it's a, it's a perspective of light in the darkness of this world and enables us to be children of light instead of children of darkness. So we see in Herod a man of sin. We learn something about man in Joseph also, secondly, a man of faith. When Mary told Joseph that she was pregnant with Jesus as a virgin, his whole life changed. Can you imagine? 
At first, he did not believe her. Can you imagine how Mary felt? Probably a teenage girl, 15, 16, pregnant with a child by divine miracle, and her fiancé, whom she was engaged to marry, Joseph, did not believe her, which meant he meant, which meant he believed that she had been with another man behind his back. And he planned to divorce her. But then an angel of the Lord appeared to him and told him, this indeed was of God, that the Holy Spirit had come upon her and that Joseph himself would call him Jesus because he came to save his people from their sins. And Joseph, from that moment, when the angel of God came to him and told him the truth about Mary, was a man of faith. He believed what he could not see. He believed the word of God that came to him in a circumstance that seemed totally opposite and could not be possible. But he looked He looked unto God. He was a godly man to begin with, and he trusted in God's word more than his own confusion and feelings. He didn't have to know everything because God had spoken. He didn't have to have everything explained to him and know every circumstance that would happen in the future because God had spoken, and God who speaks is the one who plans and oversees the future. He had peace. Peace of mind, peace of heart, peace with God. He lived by faith. Faith in the truth that God has integrity and does not break his word of promise or judgment. And that became the foundation of how Joseph reacted to this good news that seems so impossible to man. He had to leave his hometown. He had to flee to Egypt. He had to start a new life there. He had to start a new life in Nazareth. This was God's will for his life as a result of believing in Jesus Christ, the Savior in his wife's womb. The false teaching that God wants every believer prosperous and without trials in life is a flat-out lie. The prosperity of the soul is what God has planned under the new covenant. The prosperity of our hearts, the growth of love to God and man, greater than any kind of earthly prosperity that we could have, is what God has given us in Jesus Christ. The truth is that as soon as Joseph believed In the Lord Jesus Christ, his life was a mess from then on. Mary's was difficult as well. We find out in John chapter 8 that the Jews had spread the false rumor that Jesus was born of a Roman soldier. Instead of the Holy Spirit. Mary carried that with her 
all through her life. Joseph, too, as long as he lived. In all the unexpected troubles and inconveniences of Joseph's life because of believing in Christ, we do not find him complaining or grumbling or complaining that God is not fair to put this burden upon him which he didn't ask for, of having to move his family from Bethlehem to Egypt and back up north to Galilee of the Gentiles and each place starting a new life, a new carpentry shop, uh, providing for his own. He had troubles because it was God's will for his life to have troubles. It is through troubles that God purifies our faith. That our faith does not rest on how much we have or where we live or whether God has made us physically prosperous or not or healed all our diseases. It purifies our faith and takes away the, the dross from the silver and brings forth fruit that is not burned up in this world but lasts forever. The fruit of love. Love to God and men. Joy. Peace. Patience, goodness, faithfulness, kindness, meekness, self-control, these God-like characteristics we see so perfectly in the face of Jesus Christ who died that they may be produced in our heart again. This is the, these are the riches that God has given to those who trust in Christ and the production of those virtues and those fruits of the Holy Spirit comes through trial. Our love grows when we have enemies. Our joy grows when we have trials. Because we have to turn to the God who has made us and redeemed us by the blood of His Son and say to ourselves, I have everything if I have Christ. These are the things that God produces through trial. Joseph did not grumble and complain at the trials or fret that God had left him. Instead, we find him trusting God and obeying the angel's commands immediately, immediately he left for Egypt. Without question or complaint, he was a man of faith in God's word and in the virgin-born son he was charged to raise. And when you look at these two men, Joseph and Herod, I ask you the question, which one do you come closest to? person whose mind is set on the things of this world, the pleasures of this world, 
willing to lie, to deceive, to get what you want. If someone doesn't give you what you want, you lash out in anger at them as Herod did. He tried to kill the Magi. Which one are you, Herod or Joseph? Are you always thinking what you want and not what God wants in your life? Do you you sin against God's commandments to get your own way? One of the biggest um, reigning sins in America today in general are deceit and lying and false witness. Not just immorality and all these things, but the deceit that comes from man's heart that comes out of his mouth to get what he wants. But Paul told Christians, in light of the coming of Christ, his death, his resurrection, speak the truth in love one with another. What would happen if that happened in America? If people actually were honest and spoke the truth in their relationships, in their business, in their politics, and whatever else is involved? What if people obeyed God It would produce a life of respect and love for others that we do not see now in our country, just in places like the church. Christians who are trying to be consistent in their life. But Herod was always thinking what he wanted. And he would stand before God in judgment and give account for every word he had spoken, every thought he had given, every action he had performed for God to judge it righteous or wicked. And in the end, as far as we know, Herod is still in hell because he tried to kill God. People still do that. They're trying to do it in our universities, in our culture today, trying to kill Christ kill Christianity because we will not have this man to rule over us. But the bad news for darkness is that God has willed that he would. That every knee shall bow to the Lord Jesus Christ and confess that he is the Son of God. Even the knees of unbelievers Better now to come to him, better to trust in him, better to live as if he is the only important thing in our life, that his words are the only lasting and dependable words we can hear, and that his commandments are all designed to be, bring us happiness and contentment in this world. Love to God, love to man, love to Christians, love to our enemies. We must trust in the God who sent his son to die upon the cross in atonement for our sins and submit to him and love God with all our heart. Love our neighbor as ourselves. 
as Jesus died to produce that love in us. And live a life that's a blessing instead of a curse. That brings glory to God instead of glory to ourselves. So we are called no longer to be a Herod, but to believe and be a Joseph. In this passage, we learn a lot of things about God. God kept his word. There are four Old Testament prophecies in this chapter that God planned to fulfill centuries before and superintended all of history and the movements of men and women and children in different places so that Jesus would be born in David's line to Joseph and Mary and be born in Bethlehem to flee to Egypt as was prophesied and to be restored to Nazareth by God's omnipotent power and sovereign rule. God plans every life to that degree. The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. He works all things after the counsel of his will. He causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. He has never allowed sin to be full-blown placed upon his people and against his people to this day according to what they deserve. He is good and does good, and part of his goodness is to destroy the darkness with the light that he has brought. Now some of you may be thinking, if God is sovereign, why is there such a mess in the world today? Why did it have to be this way? If he plans everything, why does it have to be this way? Why did God not just kill Herod before he killed babies? Why did things have to be so hard on Joseph and Mary? If God is sovereign over all things, why did things have to be this way? Let me try to answer that as best I can. First of all, God lets sinners live to bless them. If God killed you before you committed sins in your life, how many of you would be alive today? God has let you live in sin that he might reveal to you the glory of Jesus Christ and his blood and righteousness. All the mess of your past lives, God has permitted sin to affect you, but not to destroy you, so that you may see the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ. I don't have answers for all the things that have happened for all of us. No one does. Only God knows. Only God understands. But the Bible teaches that all things at last will be brought to his glory. And it is prepared everything with a purpose, even the wicked for the day of evil and wrath. 
God restrains men every day. He restrains the sin in their hearts every day. He has not restrained you from doing many of the, has he not restrained you from doing many of the things in your mind, saying the words that came to your mind, the attack on another person that you could have given, even violence. Has he not restrained you from that? He restrains sin in this world that man cannot display the evil in his heart as bad as it could be to let them live and hear the good news of redemption in Christ. And he's done that for you and me. God could have prevented Herod from killing all the babies. He restrains sin in men's hearts every day. While people blame God for the evil things that happen in this world, the truth is that all evil comes from Satan and the heart of the evil heart of man. And God restrains that to serve his purposes, to bring about redemption and grace and salvation and to undeserving and guilty sinners. The Bible teaches this. He could have prevented Jesus from being crucified as well, but it was the only way that good could come out of evil and overcome evil. You can try to figure out the sovereignty of God over all things and why he does this and, or allows that all you want to, but you'll never understand till you have the mind of God and know things as they are known in heaven. But the cross of Christ, where it seemed that evil overcame good and the empty tomb where good triumphed over evil shows both his almighty power and perfect wisdom in accomplishing his will in our lives. It was the only way we could be forgiven. God is not only good but perfect in his wisdom and when he ordains that which comes to pass, it is the only way it should be. And when we come to believe that, there's a certain wonder over our lives that he prevented us from being what we could have been and others from being what they were or could have been toward us. And we begin to see that the darkness is overwhelming except that light has come. until you understand all the things that God has planned for you and his reasons for everything that has happened. Until you understand all those things, which is impossible in this life, you have to trust God. You have to believe the truth. You have to walk in his commandments and obey them even if it costs you. If it costs you money, if it costs you friends, it costs you family. There are people in this church right now who believed the truth and spoke the truth and lost family from it and lifelong friends. But through their suffering, they came to see the glory of God and the grace of God and how he has blessed them with his mercy. 
in order to bring peace with God and peace of mind while living in this world, you have to trust that God not only permits the sorrows of this life, only as far as necessary in his perfect wisdom and power to save your soul and to conform you to the image of Christ. Believing this brings a peace of mind and comfort that is not there by nature. And it is all because the light of the world has come and told us what God is like, showed us what God is like, called us to be what God is like. And thank God by the power of the Holy Spirit, he is able to transform us into the image of God. Step by step, day by day. Forgiving us of new sins. Teaching us new things. Until at death or the coming of Christ, we, by faith, see him. I'm sure some still have questions about the sovereignty of God in your life and what could possibly be the reasons in God's holy mind to ordain things. I know I do still have questions. But Christ rose from the dead. And that's where our faith begins. That he is true, he spoke the truth, and those who come to him and trust in him will find the truth. They will find the forgiveness of sins. They'll find eternal life. And they will find that Almighty God is able to keep them from falling and to present them faultless before his throne with great joy. With such truth, faith, trust, even in circumstances that we do not understand. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this time and pray that the Incarnation of the Son of God as Jesus Christ would capture our hearts this season and that we will think about the circumstances surrounding it and how you, how you strengthen and sustain Mary and Joseph and the new life that you gave them, how you are the same in your plan for our lives and we pray that you would increase our faith. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.